Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. I am your host, Rachel Green. Today we speak to Holly Penalva, CEO and founder of Indigo Volunteers. They partner with grassroots non-profit charities that are positively dedicated to supporting displaced communities and refugees. Holly's passion for supporting organisations was truly inspiring. Holly discusses how organisations can support volunteers and the refugee crisis, even after the initial press coverage and surge in initial support ends. We also discuss how to collaborate as an umbrella organisation, as well as compassion fatigue, why switching up your roles between frontline and desk-based work is so important. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good, a fundraising platform that helps charities streamline and unlock small business sales fundraising via a supporter-friendly digital commercial participation solution. So small but mighty businesses can fundraise for causes they love and charities can maximise this awesome, sustainable source of income. Here is Holly Penalva. Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. This week, we're joined by Holly Penalva, CEO and founder of Indigo Volunteers. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for joining us. My first question is, please could you introduce yourself and your organisation? Yeah, sure. My name's Holly Penelva and I'm the CEO and founder of a charity called Indigo Volunteers. And what we do is we support other charities working in the refugee sector. They're mostly grassroots charities and we support them by predominantly providing them with volunteers to help them run their operations. So we partner with around, uh, I think the number's 48 at the moment, and they work across Greece, Serbia, Bosnia, France, Cyprus, uh, Lebanon, and of course, more recently, um, bordering countries around Ukraine. They request us, they need um, support with, could be absolutely anything from logistics or project management, field work, uh, distributions, um, healthcare, and we have a database of volunteers that apply to us and we do a matchmaking service. That's the, that's the main thing that we do anyway. There's obviously lots more always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, it sounds like you cover quite the breadth of not only services, but uh, you know various countries um, across Europe and the globe. So that's brilliant. And you say that you work with refugee organisations. You know, what is the current situation on the ground and how are the organisations responding? Yeah, I mean, our, our partners are seriously incredible. They do anything from healthcare, um, legal support, uh, food distribution, tents, uh, education, language classes, absolutely anything. Anything you think that you might need as a human and you leave the place where you're from and that you then might need to access. And the reason they exist is often whether it's deliberate or, or not deliberate through lack of resources, governments don't fill all, all the gaps that are required uh, for people who have been displaced and in need of support at the host country. And so that's where grassroots often step in. And it's normally the origin stories are someone that just goes out to help, they see a gap and then uh, it could be something simple like food. There's no hot food or healthy food in this camp or in this area. Um, I'm going to try and get support and then they'll try and do a bit of a fundraiser back home and then it's successful and then somehow it grows and grows and then 
before they know it. It's kind of like me. <laughs> You're like running an organization that you didn't realize you were going to be running. Yeah, you blink and a bunch of years have passed and you're still doing the hot food there. So yeah, our partners are, I'm so proud of them. They are, they are doing seriously vital and incredible work across a, a real variety of um, yeah, support needed. The situation for refugees at the moment is just, I, I've been doing this now for, um, in this sector at least, for about six or just over six years. And I can see quite um, uh, you know, a pattern that's been emerging. So of course, to start with, people are usually have very open arms and they want to help displaced people and they have sympathy and sometimes empathy for, for these people. But then over, over time, when resources start to, to run out, people's opinions uh, and views can change. And unfortunately, that's what we've seen in a lot of countries. And a more recent example with everything that's happened in Ukraine with Ukrainians uh, leaving, you saw this, you know, unbelievable media coverage mm. and, and people opening their hearts and their homes. And I'm actually quite surprised at how quickly that has um, narrowed or started mm. to wear off in a way. Um, I did expect it to last a, a bit, the, 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 um, the volume of generosity to last a bit longer. And there's still a lot of generosity and there's still a lot of love out there. But it's, um, yeah, people's views can change quite, quite quickly. So the, so the, the local response um, has changed over time. And of course, right now, that's um, a bit difficult, uh, especially, as I say, when resources are limited. The political landscape has changed. Of course, we've moved, uh, I think, much more over to the, the right on the whole. And there are illegal pushbacks happening at that to unprecedented levels. So for anyone that doesn't know uh, about the illegal pushbacks, that's um, when uh, boats are coming over, there are people uh, and organizations and governments implicated uh, being involved in this, where they are deliberately and physically pushing the boats back. And it's incredibly dangerous and lives are, many lives are being lost because of it. And that's happened actually really recently. There's been a couple of shipwrecks even last week and a lot of deaths and it's, yeah, that's actually really personally affected me. People, boats are still arriving, but the res the reception is is quite different, and the the measures to deter people are getting stronger and stronger. I mean, think about the the flights to Rwanda policy. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous. So we're seeing more and more of these types of things now. Mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing. And I guess that's really, you know, one of the key challenges for your partners um, dealing with that, as you say, kind of change in attitudes of local people and yeah I guess it's that over time why does it change and how can we re-engage people because obviously you know people's lives are affected every day every week and yeah it's the horrific pushbacks that we've seen recently are really heartbreaking. I think there's something in that about preparing people that they're going to potentially have their, fe their feelings are going to change over time. Mm. So that when you know, the Russian army invaded Ukraine, our inboxes went absolutely crazy. And a lot of people said to me, how can I help? How can I help? And our general stance and response was, please hold on to this, this feeling and this energy and keep it and come back in two or three months because people will have waned and start to move on to the next thing. And that was something I felt really passionate about rather than having this absolute flood in one go. That's obviously not mm. uh, 
a good way of doing anything of, of supporting any project you know having tons and tons of aid and money at one stage and then kind of uh plateau for the rest of it there's a lot to say in in making people aware and educating people about the the cycle that that seems to be happening and that over time it's 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 good to just be aware and to as i say hold on to the energy that you have at the beginning and maybe give your help a couple of months down the line just to spread it out a bit and that's a really interesting response and yeah i don't think I've kind of seen that in other, you know, either responses to campaigns or, you know, disaster relief, whatever it might be. So I think that's really interesting thing, you know, even for our listeners to consider whether, you know, support might be needed further down the line instead of right now where there's obviously a lot of interest um, and kind of noise or news about the certain topic. I guess as an umbrella organisation working with your partners, collaboration is definitely key. And how do you successfully work with varied stakeholders? I imagine they're very different sized organisations, might have very different approaches to, you know, addressing the issues. So I wondered how, how do you work with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the cliche of communication is key, and it really is. And I think realizing that, especially if you're, like you said, we've got, we're like an umbrella, so we've created this network and we can't see everyone face to face. So number one, that's incredibly important is having as much FaceTime as possible or even just phone calls, because if you're just doing things over over uh, text form, you can you can really lose the fact that they're also a human under X amount of stress. And I think it's so much better when the person you're collaborating with is is a human. <laughs> I know that sounds so silly, yeah. but lost on so many occasions, isn't it? And I I think that's just a, a really key thing. And something we've tried to do is look that every charity and organisation should do is be flexible and adaptable so if your if your service is a b and c but your partners need x y and z you really have to um be ready and up for changing and evolving and adapting to keep up with what the needs are so for example we also help our partners by offering pss support which is psychosocial psychosocial support because that's really lacking in many sectors, but particularly in the humanitarian sector, as I'm sure many people will be aware of. And so we've got this network of therapists. And the reason it happened is because we saw how much people were struggling and they were going home and, you know, they would do this volunteering stint. And the effects on them were, were really so tremendous sometimes and people really struggled sometimes and there was nowhere for them to go so that's why we started this service in particular so you've got to kind of listen to and see what's needed um and you know adapt and improve your services in that way so i i'd say yeah listening to what observe listen see what's needed um keep up communication humanize i realize everyone at the other end is, is also human under a lot of pressure yeah. And I have a really good um, example actually, which is very rare in, again, in my experience. Um, when I was living um, and I was working in Samos, one of the Greek islands where the boats were arriving. And I was there for around 18 months. And during that time, there was this amazing coordination uh, group that had started. And it was all the grassroots, 
but the, the unique thing about it was it was also the, the big international NGOs also attended this one meeting. Somehow, I don't even ask me how, I blinked and I was up chairing it. <laughs> so that was quite a really good challenge for me. And so we had, yeah, UNHCR there, MSF, a couple of the big Greek national NGOs. Um, yeah, and all the grassroots charities as well working there. And it was so unique to have these massive organizations working and information sharing with the grassroots so there was we were just trying to not have duplication of work and trying to share resources and there were of course generally speaking the, the larger um, organizations often were much slower to react and do anything but they had money and resource mm. and the grassroots had basically the opposite so often uh, we'd, we'd see people working together MSF asking um, one of our partners, hey, we need to do a distribution in the camp. You've done them really well. Can we copy your method? Because our one didn't work very well last week. And that's absolutely incredible. And we actually had, I think, researchers like coming over doing doing investigations as to like how this was really happening. Because <laughs> it's so, so unique. But no, it was that was a, an amazing example of organizations working together and it and how successful it was. I think the difficult thing is the, the impact is really, it's not very easily tangible it's hard to see the potential catastrophes that didn't happen because you collaborated mm. with people and that's what we find at indigo that's why we find it difficult to share our impact sometimes because it's really uh can be difficult to share show our impact but, but we we just see we just see it and see all the things that don't happen all the bad things that don't happen because of the connections that are made mm, that's a really interesting point i guess i hadn't thought about you know, obviously reporting to funders, supporters, um, whoever that might be, and how, yeah, how do you capture those amazing stories? Um, but yeah, that which clearly demonstrate why you're here and how you really support your partners. So that's an amazing story. I guess related to that in terms of, you know, managing partnerships is also leading a charity and organisation and how that can be isolating. You have to wear many hats and make important executive decisions. And I wondered, have you tackled this? <laughs> That's a really great question. I think it is. it, it can be really isolating. And I think the, the number one thing is to realise that lots of other CEOs or people in senior leadership positions also find it isolating. And I think it wasn't actually just before I, I, I left Samos, um, I was speaking to a, a CEO of another chat, one of our partners, and she was she came around and she was saying how how difficult she was finding the role, and I shared with her also the difficulties that I was having, and it was like a couple of days before I was leaving, I was like, why have we not talked about this? We <laughs> had like our own support group going on, um, so I think number one just acknowledging that many or most other other leaders will be feeling really similarly. Um, we actually um, did end up starting this CEO group, which if people are interested, they're welcome to uh, get in touch about. It's it's not, um, at the moment, there's not other refugee charities in it. It's, it's um, a spin-off from something else I was involved in. And so it's CEOs of small charities, of some other small charities. And we, we meet up, we go around updating how we're doing. And then whoever is a rotating chair and whoever's the chair decides on one of the topics that's been brought up and we all help that person. If I were you, I would da da da. And it's normally the same thing, themes. And that's also very comforting to know. It's very normal to struggle uh, with, with 
your board with difficult staff members with having difficult conversations with funding the same themes come up again and again with um everyone so um that's that's a comfort in, in itself um of course like friends and family um are invaluable on this front as well having a place to to go and share things and share your successes share your frustrations um so that's also been been really really helpful and having a great team around you if you feel like something isn't working quite well then uh, within your team then thinking of changing things up or or moving things around to make it so you are supported enough in your role i definitely feel the team right now is just unbelievable i feel so supported especially since becoming a mother they have been so understanding never made me feel bad if i had to miss something because he's sick or i have to give a feed or you know things that come up which you try and avoid but you can't they are just they are so um vocal about being supportive and understanding and, and that that's the main thing so make sure the team around you is is like that I suppose. Yeah it sounds like an awesome environment to be in I think especially you know following Covid I think um, what I've seen from the charity sector as well is that organisations are a lot more flexible and I think it goes back to you know what we we're discussing about um, working with partners and just remembering everyone's human everyone has their ups and downs and personal things they have to deal with too and I think it's really important to remember because you know our work is driven by people and wanting to help so also remembering you know people who are the ceo smt or you know your colleagues also it's really important that everyone is you know able to thrive in their work environment too yeah 100% and so moving on to volunteers and volunteer recruitment um i wondered you know as an organization as um, many of our listeners, I'm sure, work with volunteers. Um, how have you successfully recruited and retained volunteers? So I think we've got a really big focus on responsible volunteering. And a large part of that means that volunteers are prepared and uh, their expectations are managed and they know what they're getting in, into. I think a big thing that I, I've experienced myself personally when volunteering for other organisations is a lack of any uh, or preparation or thorough induction and um, clear report places to know where I'm going to, who I'm going to report to and, and things like that. So it sounds quite basic, but somehow they, those things can be easily lost. Um, so I think making sure that that, that responsible volunteering is being followed. And we have a lot of information and resources and guidance that we can provide on, on that front. Um, uh, if anyone does want support with it, um, you know, we have lots of templates, safeguarding policies, whistleblowing policies, induction templates, all of that, which you can adapt for organization, obviously totally free. <laughs> like that's the point of us. That's what we're trying to help other, other charities develop their organizations as well. Um, and, and also making sure that there's uh, training and support available to the volunteers. So I think uh, retention is a really important thing there. So you can lose volunteers because you're just not having a quick catch up with them. Like, how's it going? How are you doing? Do you have any feedback? Another big one, being open to feedback um, is so important because 
people coming in with fresh eyes can obviously have a lot of really good ideas and some ideas that you've tried before that they don't know about um, but just being open to that that feedback and I think it's just investing that time if you invest the time it really does pay off later because if you are able to retain a volunteer then you instead of them leaving then you have to go through the whole recruitment process again and induction and training again but it's really hard and I fully acknowledge that because I mean I've literally lived through that a hundred times that and we've made that I'm saying that from people that have made that mistake many times at the beginning and and also not being scared to be fussy about who you have in your team because we have people approach us that want to help and we love it and, and it's so it's such an honor when people want to give up their time to to support your charity um but if at that time we cannot find a, a, a place for them or a task or activity for them to lead on we don't have them which at the beginning we said yes to everyone yes come and help us and that was a really big mistake that we made and now we've upped our uh, criteria and we say well we need this this and this and if they don't have it then we we can't invest our time into that person right now not saying of course hopefully down you know down the line we can but um so i i think not being scared to to set yeah yeah your criteria on who you want to be working with yeah i think that's a really interesting point because um, you know volunteering is a kind of two-way relationship making sure that you know not only the volunteer fits into the team and they're right for you but you know making sure that they do you know kind of fit the team goals and needs um, and skill sets so I think that's a really interesting thing to point out I think from my previous overseas and UK volunteering I think um, that kind of induction and knowing who I can speak to, what the processes are, um, yeah, have opt- often lacked. But, um, you know, luckily kind of my passion or my interest has kind of driven it through. But I do feel like, yeah, it's a really important thing for um, organisations to, you know, kind of work through to retain volunteers. Yeah, and and, and that, they, that you shared the, the vision and strategy with them because otherwise people are way less motivated if they don't know what they're working towards. Um, and again, we're working on that right now, trying to set really clear goals and, and aims and deadlines, because otherwise, if, you, if everyone thinks they're on the same page verbally, but on paper, they might not be. So I think that's really important for volunteers to know what they're working towards, especially for their motivation and, and clarity. And so there's no misunderstanding of what they're there to do from both sides. Definitely. Yeah, kind of. In the same vein too with volunteers, I know earlier you mentioned that you have kind of mental health support for um, volunteers and partners. And I just wondered how can organisations manage compassion fatigue and why is it an important issue to address? Yeah, compassion fatigue is really interesting. I think one of the one of the big things is being just spotting and acting if you can see someone that you suspect is yeah removing themselves a bit not responding in the same way change of energy change of motivation um and dealing with it rather than you know I'm too busy I'm gonna with other things I think putting what's really important for for me personally and for Indigo which I've, I've hopefully managed to build as part of the culture is people have to come first and that doesn't include just the people you're there to help or serve 
but the people in your team. And you can even see it as a selfish thing, right? You don't even have to see it as a, well, I'm investing this time, I don't have it. Because if you do that, it benefits your organization as well so much. So it's, it's, it's win-win for everyone if you put the person first and you really genuinely care about how they're doing. Um, so I think just, just observing and, and being a good manager or leader um, to the people around you or, or colleague, you know, or, or peer and supporting each other if you do spot people that are struggling or experiencing compassion fatigue. I think another thing that uh, this isn't possible for lots of roles, but um, for us, uh, or for, in my role in particular, luckily I can be remote, but I can also be, you know, visiting partners in, in the field um, as well. So switching it up, I think is a really important thing. As I say, it's not always possible, but, but sometimes if you're constantly frontline, that can be really draining and, and harrowing and, and difficult on all kinds of levels. So allowing that person to have some time, perhaps doing some behind the scenes work, doing some admin, doing some computer work and, and having a, a, a good a balance as possible within that role. So it's not constantly one or the other, because if you're behind your laptop all the time, you can, yeah, that, that you can often see people losing, yeah, their, their, the understanding of the aim and, and, and what's actually happening and vice versa. If you're on the front line too much, that can be, yeah, too, too much on your energy as well. So mixing it up a bit where possible. Um, of course, taking breaks and taking that really seriously. And again, lots of people care so much about the charity they work for, they don't want to take breaks. But as uh, a manager, enforcing that and explaining uh, why that's important. And if people really struggle, um, maybe helping by not allowing access to emails and things so they can <laughs> not, not work when they're on their break. Um, I say this is an absolute hypocrite. I am number one hypocrite of this rule. Uh, <laughs> so. But I am, again, like now our team is um, so helpful in encouraging me. Uh, I've taken more annual leave this year, which still isn't a lot, but I've taken more annual leave this year than I had in the last four years combined. Wow. So that, that says a lot. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, that's, I, I think just, just caring about the person and, and, and checking in with them is the biggest thing. Mm. I don't know if you can really um, completely, completely prevent it from happening. I think it's, it's, because everyone's sensitivities to it are different and you can't ever predict if you put five people in the same role, you know, it could be all five or it could just be one that experienced it. So it's hard to, you just have to keep an eye on it all the time. Mm. I guess it's addressing everyone's kind of needs and communicating with them on a case by case basis as you know, everyone's situation is so unique. What would you like our listeners to take away from today's discussion? And is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I would say a bunch of things. Uh, if you are resonating with anything, you're not alone. <laughs> this is really normal to feel um, that the role is difficult. And there are lots of um, resources, that, as I say, get in touch. Like there's Facebook groups. If you're not already on them, there's, yeah, there's resources available. Um, uh, there's a CEO group. Um, then just reach out because it is so helpful when you know that you know you're doing it together as I say yeah the refugee situation is still ongoing it's still a major a major thing that that we are are dealing with and that 
there's all kinds of ways people can, can get involved. They don't have to volunteer in person. If they, you know, if anyone in their network knows people that want to get involved, then definitely get in touch. But also, if if you're a trainer or you know you have specialist skills, you can do things remotely. There's all kinds of ways. So I I would say that's that's a good um, takeaway as well. And yeah that just just generally that that just because it's not in the news uh it's still still ongoing and our partners are still working you know, flat out to respond to the needs of refugees thanks holly and um what's the best way for people to find out that information is it on your site or is there someone we can contact we've got a page on our website um, indigovolunteers.org uh, you can contact us info at indigovolunteers.org um and then they can direct you, yeah, whether it's to me or to not someone else. Um, so yeah, you can start there and depending on your query, it will be answered. We've got a very efficient team, so <laughs> yeah, they're great. Oh, fantastic. I've got one final question just to end on. Um, I just wondered where did the name Indigo Volunteers for the organization come from? Well, that's a really good question. I. I was thinking of all these great names for a charity, but they were all taken up, right? Of course, like the, the yeah. charities have been going on for many, many, many years by this point. And other people have thought of these great names. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to have to be an abstract name in the end. And there was a song that my ex-husband had written and I loved it. And so I thought, and it's, it's called Indigo. And I thought, oh, okay. And so that it really just came from that because it was getting ridiculous. I kept saying to people, oh, this charity um, I'm running, but then, and it didn't have a name for so long. And I was like, <laughs> that's fine. I like the go. I like the, the indie go, independent going. I don't know. It, it kind mm, of worked. Yeah. So it's a, just an abstract name, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. Also, thanks so much for joining us today, um, Chat to Chat podcast you know there's lots of interesting takeaways I think um for our listeners from this episode yeah thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure thank you a big thank you to Holly Panalva CEO and founder of Indigo Volunteers and I'm sure you agree Holly's passion and dedication to supporting refugees and their umbrella organizations is huge having spoken to Holly we can see that the partner organisations provide support that the governments aren't able to provide. The grassroots organisations grow from this need and provide vital work across a variety of support areas. Having heard about the work that Indigo Volunteers does, it's so clear why it's needed. And I think it shows the huge opportunity and potential of grassroots organisations and how sharing learnings and you know the story about how um, larger organizations and smaller grassroots ones work together to kind of fill those gaps was so inspiring and I think it's something I'd love to hear more about other examples across the sector also just that reminder of we're you know we're all human and having that people first approach no one will respond to work in the same way I think having phone conversations with partner organisations reminds us they're human and can be under points of stress, especially in this line of humanitarian work. Being flexible and adaptable to support partner organisations is so important. Observing how can we support them? I think that really came through 
um, in Holly's discussion and the huge benefit of working with psychosocial support. I think that's something that's perhaps lacking in some volunteer programs um, I've personally taken part in. But you can see how much people might be struggling after their volunteer placements. I think it's fantastic. That's something that Indigo Volunteers offers. And again, that point of how do we show our impact, which is so key for organisations in the charity sector and collaboration with others is difficult to demonstrate. Sometimes, as Holly pointed out, they're anticipating problems that haven't actually arose because of the work. So remembering that we're human purpose-led organisations and sharing key strategies and goals is really important for both staff and volunteer motivation. Compassion fatigue, you know, is something that I think has been felt heavily throughout the sector, whether, you know, you work within humanitarian organisation or perhaps addressing the current cost of living crisis. And I think that point that Holly raised about switching up from frontline work, which can be very draining, but rewarding, um, but also, you know, working behind a computer or working in the office, um, making sure people there also don't lose their passion because they may feel disconnected from the cause at times. And also taking breaks seriously, uh, you know, we're all so emotionally invested and we really want to support people. And I think sometimes, you know, taking a step back um, helps us to re-energize and truly help people. You know, that kind of saying of we can't help others unless we help ourselves um, first. And finally, managing volunteer expectations is so important for volunteer retention, preparation, induction too, um, and having that clear line of who you can report to uh, if there's an issue. You know, Holly is more than happy to share resources on how on responsible volunteering and good practice. Um, so you can reach out to Holly on info at indigovolunteers.org. And being open to feedback too, I think that's something um, that everyone can benefit from, whether that's from an individual level or also organisational level. And I think it's a great way to make volunteers feel included and have some input into the organisation. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good, a fundraising platform which helps charities streamline and unlock small business sales fundraising via a supporter-friendly digital commercial and commercial participation solution. So small but mighty businesses can fundraise for causes they love and charities can maximise this awesome sustainable source of income. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. Thank you. Thank you.